Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Genesis 126:28 and God gave man dominion. Human activities, including hunting and hiking, they're nice. Are driving mammals around the world to be, I'm sorry, mammals around the world to be more active at night because they're less likely to run into people then, except for the uh, night people. This is according to a new study in Nature, the magazine. The consequences of this shift are still unclear. Scientists suspect it could threaten the survival of several animal populations. Researchers analyzed 76 published studies that monitored the activity of 62 mammal species, including some that are mostly nocturnal by nature, on six continents. Nothing on Antarctica. They compared the nighttime activity of each species during periods of time and in regions with high human disturbance (laughs) during hunting season or in areas rife with roads with their nighttime activity during periods of time or in regions with low human disturbance. Most mammals become, on average, 20% more active at night in response to higher levels of human disturbance. Oh, this is actually published in Science, but it's reported in Nature.com. Okay, then, you guys fight it out. Animals such as coyotes, which typically split their activity evenly between day and night, conduct nearly 70% of their activity at night in hiking areas near California's Santa Cruz Mountains. Some cases are more extreme, uh, cites the lead author, Uh, Sable antelopes, which are uh, mostly up and about during the day, shift about 50% of their activities to night hours in Huangue National Park in Zimbabwe. There have been isolated studies that looked at animal activity in the presence of people. This is the first large-scale survey that quantifies how mammals shift their activity patterns in time. The next step, according to Marley Tucker, who studies broad ecological patterns at Senckenberg Biodiversity Research Center in Frankfurt, the next step is to understand the consequences of this time shift for the time shift for the animal's reproduction and foraging. You know, the eating and the thing. The finding confirms previous assumptions that animals tend to avoid people, probably because they perceive us as a threat, says Chris Daramo, a conservation scientist at the University of Victoria in Canada. The study also produced some surprising results. He adds one of them in non-lethal activities, including hiking and agriculture, elicit the same responses from mammals as lethal activities, such as hunting. It doesn't matter whether we're having a picnic in the park or cutting down trees. The wildlife around us perceive us as a risk to their survival. That is so nutty. What is wrong with that wildlife? What are they... Although being more active at night might help mammals to reduce lethal encounters with people, it could have detrimental effects, says a conservation biologist... At a university in the Netherlands, many carnivores hunt by sight, so they're most successful during the day when they can see well. If the animals have to shift their activities to night hours, they might be less successful. Because of the potentially negative impacts of a more nocturnal lifestyle, it might be helpful for people to restrict certain recreational activities to specific hours of the day, says one of the scientists involved. Similar strategies already limit activities during certain times of the year. Rock climbing routes in New York's Adirondacks are closed during the peregrine falcon breeding season. The uh, researcher says it's important people bear in mind how human activities might sway animal behavior. Quote, just because we don't see wildlife on a daily basis, it doesn't mean it's not out there. Mm, Right now, it might not. More about Dominion. Because we got it. 
and we're flaunting it. To date, most evidence of insect decline in Canada has been anecdotal, people simply noticing fewer bugs. Other relevant research is based on uh, the subsequent decline in birds that depend on insects for food. But now Neville Winchester, an adjunct assistant professor at the University of Victoria, is launching an insect inventory study this summer, first of its kind in British Columbia, important to understanding insect declines. Insects have inventories? They better get rid of it. They better have a big sale. Winchester says he has noticed declines in bees and butterflies, even on pristine properties. How do we quantify that? That's what we're trying to do with this project, much like the German study reported on earlier. It's like a 75% decrease in some insect populations. You know, we keep hearing, every once in a while at least, that uh, humans are going to have to turn to insects for food. Too late. Agricultural activity by humans more than 2,000 years ago had a more significant and lasting impact on the environment than previously thought. This finding was discovered by a team of international researchers led by the University of British Columbia. There's that Canada again. It's reported in science advances. The researchers found an increase in deforestation and agricultural activity during the Bronze Age. Now that was an age. In Ireland, they got bronze in Ireland? Reached a tipping point that affected Earth's nitrogen cycle, the process that keeps nitrogen. That's a critical element necessary for, you know, life, circulating between the atmosphere, land, and oceans. Scientists are increasingly recognizing that humans have always impacted their ecosystems. But finding early evidence of significant and lasting change is rare, says the study's lead author. They uh, performed isotope analyses on 712 animal bones ugh, collected from at least 70, sorry, 90 archaeological sites in Ireland. They find significant changes in the nitrogen composition of soil nutrients and plants that made up the animal's diet during the Bronze Age. Supposedly, according to the uh, researchers, this is because of an increase in the scale and intensity of deforestation, agriculture, and pastoral farming. While these results are specific to Ireland, during the Bronze Age, researcher says the findings have global implications. Yeah, it's called Dominion. Hello, welcome to the show.
From the edge of America, from the home of the homeless, I'm Harry Shearer welcoming you to Santa Monica in this week's edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news from outside the bubble. Let's bring it in, shall we? The government of Germany has until the end of the month to come up with a plan to deal with the aftermath of a notorious German-led cult in Chile. That's according to Deutsche Welle, German news organization. Activists fear the government won't meet the deadline. But who meets deadlines? Colonia Dignidad is a 53-square-mile settlement about 240 miles south of Santiago in Chile, founded by Germany's Paul Schaefer. Ah, no, not that one and was the site of hundreds of atrocities, including child abuse. The German government is, by the way, Colonia Dignidad, for those of you who don't speak the language, means the Dignity Colony. There's your oxymoron. The German government has pledged to establish a memorial and help survivors and family members of victims, but until recently, not many people in Germany wanted to know the dark story of what happened at Colonia Dignidad. Schaefer, ah, who had run a children's home in Germany, fled following accounts of pederasty and sadism. He founded the colony in 1961 with 200 followers. His mission, he claimed, was to establish a site of, quote, original Christian life in the promised land, unquote, believing that Germany was about to be invaded and destroyed by the Soviet Union. A number of kidnapped children were taken to the colony where they were sexually abused and subjected to forced labor. Schaefer and the other settlement leaders established contact with right-wing extremist Chilean groups, and after the putsch by the Chilean military in 1973, abetted by the United States, hello, Dr. Kissinger, how are you doing? Pinochet used the remote location as a site to torture and kill enemies of his regime. In 1991, the Chilean government revoked the colony's status as a charitable organization. Just about time! And in 1997, two young people succeeded in fleeing the settlement for Germany where they told their stories. But government officials, including the German ambassador to Chile, ignored the tales of horror. Schaefer disappeared in 1997 to avoid facing charges of sexual abuse, tried in absentia, found guilty in 2004, arrested in 2005. He died in 2010. The colony was put under the administration of the state to ensure it would pay its $1.5 million court-ordered compensation to victims. But 140 members of the cult still live there, and a Bavarian-themed hotel operates within the settlement where hundreds of people were abused and murdered. Tourism's a nutty thing, isn't it? In an admission that Germany, too, bears responsibility for the crimes committed at the colony, Frank-Walter Steinmeier, then the foreign minister, opened government records going back over 20 years on Colonial Dignidad to the public April a couple of years ago. Last June, members of all the parties in the German parliament passed a resolution giving the government a year to come up with plans to investigate the history of the colony, establish a memorial, and offer assistance to victims and family members. The initiative has a support across the political spectrum in the Bundestag. It's my favorite Stag. News from outside the bubble, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I, I kind of copyrighted it. And now, back to our own trivial problems. <laughs> The makers of the world's first smart fingerprint padlock have made one critical error. They forgot about the existence of 
screwdrivers, tap lock, this is according to the Register in British Tech Journal, raised $320,000 a couple years ago for their product that would allow you to use just your finger to open the unbreakable lock. Things took a turn for the worse when the shipping date of September came and went. Backers complained the company had stopped posting any updates, wasn't responding to emails or social media posts. But after months of silence, the company assured the register everything was still moving forward. The delays were due to manufacturing issues in China. The $100 tap lock, finally, after 18 months, is on the market. And it's uh, reporting, reportedly, according to the uh, register, somewhat flawed. No less than three major problems have been discovered. The tap lock used zinc aluminum alloy Zamac 3, something that they claim lends the lock unbreakable durability. Aluminum does, does provide an enviable degree of detail when die cast, but it's not exactly the best choice for something supposed to be unbreakable. It isn't very strong. It melts at high temperatures, and it is quite brittle. That's not one of the three flaws. The first major flaw was the way it used Bluetooth to lock and unlock. A uh, security expert reviewed the lock, and it took him less than an hour to find a way of opening every single tap lock because the lock broadcasts its own Bluetooth address unencrypted. This level of security is completely unacceptable, he said. The uh, expert informed the company about it, gave it seven days before he went public with the flaw. Just hours before the deadline was up, tap lock put out a security notice warning everyone needed to upgrade their locks firmware to get the latest protection. The second flaw, another security researcher published a blog post pointing out that if you create a, tap, a tap lock account and gain a login, that is if you were able to log in, you'll be able to open every single tap lock out there. One of the researchers noted in his piece, he saw all kinds of red flags that made him confident the lock security was going to be terrible. The second expert said the same thing, but with different red flags. He approached the lock from the angle of the app and was immediately concerned that it didn't even use HTTPS, the basic security thing for uh, Internet-connected stuff. He dug around, found it was trivial to access other users' account privileges from a different account. That security flaw enabled him not only to get at the lock, but to access the actual account information. Turns out... TapLock actually hands out all the information people need not only to access others' locks, but where you can find them physically. The uh, actual, those are phys uh, software errors. What about the physical error itself? Aside from the aluminum alloy and the lack of a physical step in the lock itself that all decent lock manufacturers add to prevent thieves from shimming it open, didn't know about that, the uh, flaw is that you can unscrew the back off where you can find standard Phillips head screws that you could remove using a screwdriver. Once inside, it's trivial to pop the lock. Including, it's possible to access any tap lock in under 30 seconds using nothing more than a mount and a screwdriver. Company serious about security which might include lock manufacturers, would usually use custom screws requiring custom screwdrivers. Yeah, but Register also reports that uh, TapLock's marketing having been so effective, there's already a TapLock knockoff that's even 
less secure. There's a screw on the uh, outside of the lock that allows you to access its guts. When another lock testing user made the company, this is another company, the knockoff company, aware of this, here was the response. Quote, we designed this fingerprint lock of againsting theft. However, the lock is invincible to the people who do not have a screwdriver. Unquote. That's smart. Got to hand it to him. That is smart. But now, time for news of the Olympic movement. Produced by the always smart Jim Ebersole Jr. And must smart. Well, it's spreading. First in Switzerland, Swiss voters killed off their country's chances of hosting the 2026 Winter Olympics last week after refusing to approve financial support for the Olympics. Some 54% of voters in the southern canton of Valais, not the San Fernando Valais, I hope, rejected granting 101.5 million U.S. dollars towards the event. The decision, decision spells the end of the Swiss bid to host the Games, which were to be centered on the city of Sion, or Sion, after the campaign threw in the towel. This is the end of the project to bring the, bring the Winter Olympics to Sion in 2026, said the campaign spokesman. We couldn't convince a majority of voters that this was a reasonable and sustainable project. In the end, it's all about the money. Now he tells us. And people were concerned it would become too expensive, unquote. Residents of a number of towns and cities, as you know, have in recent years balked at the cost and disruption associated with hosting the Olympics. Switzerland's exit leaves Graz in Austria, Stockholm in Sweden, Turkey's Erzurum, Japan's Sapporo again, and an Italian bid involving Cortina, Milan, and Turin, as well as Canada, which might bid if they can get the people in and around Calgary to agree. Under Switzerland's serious system of direct democracy, imagine that, voters in Valais were asked to approve the funding to be used for security and to be, build, be building permanent sporting infrastructure. You know how well that works out. The government had supported the bid, saying hosting the Games would boost the region's profile. <laughs> Final budget of the Games would be about 2.4 billion Swiss francs. They still have those? with the Swiss government contributing almost $1 billion. Opponents had raised fears the games would go over budget, nah, and the money would be better spent on roads, hospitals, and social services. Nah. Here's the ironic part. The International Olympic Committee is based in Switzerland. It said it was disappointed in the result. But they're not thinking about moving. Because of the tax? No, I don't know why. Gold Coast ratepayers in Australia will not be footing the bill to host an Olympic Games in southeast Queensland. There had been talk of putting in a joint bid for the 2032 Games, but the Gold Coast City Council has drawn a line in the sand refusing to contribute financially. According to TripleM.com, the city paid $190 million to host the Commonwealth Games a couple months ago. The council has decided it will not be contributing to another major international sporting event anytime soon. We're at the level where we can host an event like the Olympics, he said, thanks to upgraded stadiums and facilities. But he was concerned the cost of the games will soar out of control. Where would he get that idea? Security costs alone, he said, are going to be quite a lot of money. 
My caution is to the state government, this would be Queensland, to look at their budget because when London put their games together, it cost, in U.S. dollars, $29.2 billion. First time we've heard that figure. Had to come from down under. That's how it goes when you're the Olympics. It's a movement. And we all need one. Every day. Here's good news on the microplastics front. McDonald's, you've heard of them, is ditching plastic straws in all of its U.K. and Ireland restaurants, some 1,300 of them, in what could turn out to be a playbook for its operations in the rest of the world, or just a happy accident. The company says paper straws, which are more environmentally friendly, will, re- will replace plastic ones starting in September. McDonald's uses 1.8 million straws a day in the U.K., according to the BBC. They should know. Reflecting the broader public debate, our customers told us they wanted to see a move on straws, said the chief executive of McDonald's UK and Ireland. The new straws will use paper from sustainable sources, like plastic. No. UK's environmental secretary called it a significant contribution to help the environment. The ban on, the ban on plastic straws comes as a result of a series of successful trials, which are set to spread to the U.S., France, and Norway. The U.S. uses 500 million plastic straws every day, according to a recycling nonprofit organization. Plastic straws are technically recyclable, but their small size and weight mean they are often missed by sorting machines, and the sheer number of straws used every day means they make a big contribution to the millions of tons of plastic that end up in the ocean every year. Down the gullets of our fishy friends. But it's not all good news. <laughs> in the environment. No. That's why there's news of the warm, won't you? Right this way. Soft, listen to the warm. If I could write this way, I wouldn't have to read this stuff. The world is on track to exceed 1.5 centigrade of what degrees of warming unless countries rapidly implement far-reaching actions to reduce carbon emissions. This is according to a draft U.N. report leaked to Reuters. The final draft report from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change is due for publication in October. That's the guiding scientific document for what countries must do to combat climate change. This is the draft version of that final report. Human-induced warming would exceed 1.5 degrees centigrade Celsius. Sorry. By about 2040, if emissions continue at their present rate, according to the report, countries could keep warming below that level if they made, quote, rapid and far-reaching changes, unquote. Climate scientist and climate analytics director Bill Hare says the draft report shows with greater clarity how much faster countries need to move towards decarbonization under various temperature situations and that the impacts of climate change greatly increase above 1.5 degrees centigrade and between that and two degrees centigrade of warming. Necessary actions include making the transition to renewable energy, powering the transport sector with zero carbon electricity, improving agricultural management, and stopping deforestation. That's all. If emissions continue on their present pathway, there's no chance of limiting global temperature rises even to three degrees centigrade. Economic modeling in the draft report shows that the dangers for economic growth, particularly in developing countries, are significantly greater at 2 degrees than at 1.5. 
So even on an economic basis, the recommendation is humans should do this. But we're humans. And many coral reefs will be unable to keep growing fast enough to keep up with rising sea levels. That will leave tropical coastlines and low-lying islands exposed to increased erosion and flooding risk. This is suggested by new research reported by Eureka Alert. An international team led by scientists from the University of Exeter, Royal Netherlands Institute for Sea Research, Lancaster University, and the Australian Research Council's Center of Excellence for Coral Reef Studies compared the maximum upward growth rates of coral reefs reefs with predicted rates of sea level rise, finding that many reefs will be unable to keep pace. You would expect maybe the reefs would grow because the corals are living things, but the growth is strongly influenced by the amount and types of coral living on the reef surface. This growth is now being hampered by combinations of coral disease, deteriorating water quality, and fishing pressure, along with severe impacts from coral bleaching caused by climate change. I think we could help deal with that coral disease by allowing pharmaceutical advertising to corals, but that's just me. For many reefs across the Caribbean and Indian Ocean regions where the study focused, rates of growth are slowing due to coral reef degradation, said the lead author. Meanwhile, rates of sea level rise are increasing. Our results suggest reefs will be unable to keep up. Now, this is, uh, as noted at the beginning, of critical concern because reefs play a key role as natural sea defenses by limiting coastal wave energy exposure, says another co-author of the study. If only we could assign a dollar value to the protective services that corals provide, we might even care. News of the Warm, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And uh, that brings us to, to this week's uh, activities on the part of the, the President of the United States. Of course, he came back from that uh, meeting with uh, Kim Jong-il uh, in uh, Singapore, the summit, with a document that m- most observers said was uh, not that much different from the documents that the North Koreans have signed previously with other American administrations, only to disregard those provisions later on. No real provision for uh, enforcement or inspection detailed in the documents signed in Singapore. But, you know, they were in a hurry. Uh, the president left the <laughs> president left uh, Singapore singing the praises of King Jong Kim Jong Il, saying he was tough. You know, he had a, a news conference in which uh, Trump said that uh, yeah, some tough things go on there, but the tough things go on in a lot of places. It became known at that uh, press conference at the beginning of the press conference actually when they played. A tr- what looked like a movie trailer that that had actually been produced by the National Security Council of the administration and uh, <laughs> President Trump said uh, at the news conference that he had played it he first said on a cassette and then corrected that to an iPad for Chairman Kim during the meeting here's a, a little bit of how that sounded 7 billion people inhabit planet earth Of those alive today, only a small number will leave a lasting impact. And only the very few will make decisions or take actions that renew their homeland and change the course of history. History 
is always evolving. And there comes a time when only a few are called upon to make a difference. But the question is, what difference will the few make? The past doesn't have to be the future. Out of the darkness can come the light, and the light of hope can burn bright. What if a people that share a common and rich heritage can find a common future? Their story is well known, but what will be their sequel? Destiny Pictures presents A Story of Opportunity. A new story, a new beginning. A story about a special moment in time when a man is presented with one chance that may never be repeated. What will he choose? There can only be two results. One of moving back. Or one of moving forward. A new world can begin today. One of friendship, respect, and goodwill. Be part of that world where you can have medical breakthroughs, an abundance of resources, innovative technology, and new discoveries. What if? Can history be changed? It comes down to a choice. On this day, in this time, at this moment, will this leader choose to advance his country and be part of a new world? Be the hero of his people? Will he shake the hand of peace? and enjoy prosperity like he has never seen. A great life or more isolation? One moment, one choice. What if? And as I say, that's the edited version. It ran longer. And they, they only had six hours. But uh, yeah, yes, they did make a Korean language version of it as well. Uh, in defense of that, uh, some... Experts on propaganda have pointed out that uh, Kim grew up on video, ga- watching video games and stuff, so they thought maybe a video might be an appropriate way to. Um, and there was a uh, there were a couple of shots in there which you couldn't see because, of course, this is radio. Uh, one of a uh, slam dunk in basketball and one of a visiting uh, one of a symphony orchestra, which um, one propaganda expert on CNN said, "Well, the slam dunk is because, um, as we all know." from his friendship with Dennis Rodman. Kim is a basketball fan. And uh, the symphony orchestra is a callback of a visit. I think the New York Philharmonic played to, uh, paid to North Korea in uh, about 10 years ago. So, yes, that, that is real, ladies and gentlemen. That was real. Um, other things that went on this week, of course, in the, in the life of <laughs> President Paul Manafort uh, was jailed because the judge was displeased with uh, evidence uh, presented that he apparently had tried to... Uh, tamper with witnesses in uh, his upcoming trials. And um, there were more scandals involving EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt. Uh, It was found out this week that uh, he'd tried to use uh, lobbyist connections to get... uh, Well, we found that out last week. I think we got another one this week. uh, Lobbyist connections to get some uh, jobs for his relatives. Uh... Lobbyist connections to get Rose Bowl tickets. You know, he uh, drives through Washington with sirens blaring. The whole deal. 
up to now, President <laughs> President Trump has been a, a stout supporter of Pruitt's, but indications are that may change because this week a prominent Fox News commentator, Laura Ingram, changed her position on Scott Pruitt and announced that, in her opinion, he must go. And here we go. This week, for the first time, the afterglow of an unprecedented meeting is dimmed by doubters in the media. And for the businessman turned chief executive, it's more important than ever that his teams keep their eye on the ball. And there is no ball. Scott, the wonderful Scott. Yes, sir. You, you were going to uh, admire my complexion? <laughs> Actually, I wasn't. Because this is the best moisturizer available outside of New York City, and my intern just flat out refused to drive up there. Scott, to... you're doing a great job. Well, the environment hasn't been this deregulated since my dad was kicking black people out of his apartments. I'm kidding. <laughs> he never did that. He just didn't you know, like his taste in furnishings. Yes, sir. You know, I, I, I got over here ten minutes early thanks to the escorts I use, so just in case there's you any... Know, we're not big fans of that word around here, Scott. Too many fake memories. <laughs> gotcha. Scott, Laura Ingram turned against you this week. I know, sir. It grieves me deeply. What'd you do? You didn't say she was uglier than Greta Van Susteren, did you? Because believe me, she's not. You know, sir, there's, there's a holier-than-thou attitude among many of our Christian conservative brethren that, uh, frankly, I, I, I don't quite understand. Really? I can tell you this. I found them to be almost spooky tolerant. And they're judging my travel expenses, my use of my staff to do personal errands, my calling on lobbyists to help get jobs for my relatives. If I may, sir. Sure. Jesus never did that. Good point. Very good point. I mean, I don't know personally, but many people say that or would say that if I asked them. It's not as if jobs for my relatives wasn't serving the public interest, sir. It gets at least three people off of welfare. That's value-added for the taxpayer. No, I know. Look, they're gunning for you because cause you're like me, but you're not me. You're tough, and you're anti all this regulatory nonsense that's decimating our economy. But you're not a reality TV star, so that's your problem. So I'm fair game. It's open season. I mean, I guess I could become a reality TV star. I've flipped my share of houses. Not always at a profit, but... Scott, the team is only as strong as its weakest link. Or Patty. Right now, that's you. You've got a big task this week. To get stronger. Mm -hmm. Any ideas? Well, sir, I have to admit I stopped doing the sit-ups because it started hurting so damn much. Stronger media-wise. Mm. I mean, if you had a nice little foundation, it could help get attention off mine. That could help. I do try to help the homeless, sir. That's why I got jobs for my relatives. Not good enough. Mm. Unless you've got a lot more relatives. So here's the deal. Mm -hmm. I don't like to make threats. But I like to not make threats even less. So you don't have much time left to turn this around. Do something. Cut a ribbon. Push a pipeline. Get a pile of regulations and rip them up on camera. Those were all good for at least, you know, one hour of coverage. Yes, sir. Now, obviously, we, we agreed from day one that my strategy would be more effective off camera. Guess what, Scott? This is day two. Can you do it? Yeah. Seems like we skipped a lot of days here, but I'll do my best. Mike, 
Mike, my terrific secretary of state. Yes, sir. You know how successful that video you people made for Kim was? Well, I, I know he loved that shot of a slam dunk. Here's the deal. I told the legal team I'd stop all this back and forth about whether I'm going to sit down with Muller. Yes, sir. We're just going to send him a great video. You're going to have to lend us your team. Huh? It's all your team, sir. I know that, but thanks for reminding me. Mm -hmm. Now, I think you've told me this, but now I'm telling you. Yes, sir. we got to get down to the nitty-gritty with Kim. How are we doing with that? Excellent progress, sir. That's why my deputy assistant secretary for East Asian Affairs... Horatio Shimkis is here. With Mike Cassio. Now, as you suggested, the best follow-up to that video is a musical, mm -hmm. and Horatio... Well, here, here's what I've got so far. For your consideration, as they say at award time. You're going to do it right here in the boardroom. Mm -hmm. Terrific. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be playing you. I'll, I'll do Kim, and when we do it for real, of course. Of course. The best actors. Right. Mm -hmm. So, here, uh, to start it off, is the, the meet-cute. Okay. You and me, don't we make a pair? Both long on strength, both short on hair. Hey, 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 hey. Just a first draft, sir. Okay. You and me, we're not gonna plummet. Even though the fake news lies about our summit. That's great. And, uh, and then there's uh, a, a sort of a comic number uh, that features Kim. Terrific. <clears throat> Again, I'm Kim. Right. The internet is humming. The inspectors are coming. It's exciting. My generals and my spooks. So many long faces and buggy databases. Where the hell do I keep my nukes? <laughs> and you know, that's actually funny. <laughs> He's got to love that. Mm -hmm. And then uh, then you have a solo number. Perfect. I was going to say. Well, mm -hmm. I like this. <clears throat> Once there was a terrible problem. It spread such fear and fright. My predecessors kept blinking. I solved it without thinking And you can sleep safely tonight That's good tonight uh, Fair and fright, basically the same thing, though. This, let me tell you something. Repetition never hurts. It never hurts, believe me. And it works for the rhyme. I needed it. Uh, then there's a dance number, which we haven't worked up yet. I think it's... Uh, Maybe kind of a hip-hop thing. And then, uh, older and wiser, the big finale. Fear and fury. Deranged dotard. <laughs> That's how we were back then. A madman. I hated that. I called you short and fat. Ugh. We did it again and again. Now I'm... Talented and tough. You love your people as such. We spent six hours being friends. Two great leaders. My feel, my touch. Don't touch too much. That's, That's how, how this story ends. Good night.
Wow. Do we know if he likes musicals? Uh, our research says he does as long as they don't feel too uh, non-butch. Mm-hmm. He's, he's very mindful of the, his strength thing. Hey, who is it? Mm. Horatio, Mike, this is terrific, tremendous, also good. I'm sure you'll cast it with the best people and maybe fix that line about the hair. Easy fix, sir. Green light. Are you kidding? The greenest. New team. New tasks. Same mission. We're going to make musical theater great again. Now, the world is his boardroom. The Presidentis. Reality was never like this.
Now, news of the godly. Well, Sir Pope Francis has accepted the resignation of three Chilean bishops. We're back in Chile. It's all happening, uh, including the controversial Juan Barros in the wake of a child sexual abuse scandal. Bishop Barros was accused of covering up sexual abuse committed by a priest in the 80s and 90s. Pope Francis has said he made grave mistakes, his words, by originally defending Bishop Barros and calling criticism of the bishop slander. All of Chile's 34 Roman Catholic bishops had offered their resignations in the anticipation of the pope's visit. The decision by the pope to accept the resignations of three of the 34 was announced in a statement issued by the Vatican. It was not clear if the move meant that the remaining 31 resignations wouldn't be accepted. The Pope became involved in the scandal surrounding Barros when he defended the bishop during his visit to Chile in January. The day I see proof against Bishop Barros, then I will talk. There's not a single piece of evidence against him. It is all slander. Is that clear? The Pope had said at the time. He later apologized to victims, saying, I apologize to them if I hurt them without realizing it, but it was a wound that I inflicted without meaning to. He might have known, because the installation of Barros as bishop was met with stiff resistance four years ago. More than a thousand people wrote to him, the Pope, asking him to review the appointment. Hundreds showed up at the bishop's installation. I think he was rebooted, as a matter of fact, of that installation, to protest. They accused him of using his position in the church to cover up the actions of his mentor, Father Fernando Caradima, who was found guilty by the Vatican of sexually abusing children. Victims of Caradima said Barros had been present when the priest had abused them. we got to watch. Bishop Barros denies any wrongdoing. Dayline, Columbia, South Carolina, a statue of Jesus, the Baptist church in South Carolina, voted to remove because the congregation deemed it too Catholic, has found a new home. The hand-carved seven-foot statue and accompanying reliefs depicting scenes from Christ's life has been displayed outside the front entrance of Red Bank Baptist Church in Lexington, South Carolina, for a decade. Church members voted last month to remove it. The Reverend Jeff Wright, the church's pastor, would not tell the AP when the statue will be taken down, but said it is going to another church. So you see, sometimes people in the South approve of taking statues down. Church members meant no harm in the decision. The attention, According to uh, the church members, the attention has turned what was a simple church issue and firmly into a social justice issue, according to the church's pastor, Reverend Wright. This is not a denomination issue. It's a church decision. We're removing it to end some confusion. Some people have seen it, guests that have been here and asked, why is this on the front of a Baptist church? Wright wrote in a letter to the artist that the statue and reliefs bring into question the theology and core values of the church. We understand this is not a Catholic icon, but however people perceive it in these terms. There are noticeable physical similarities in the Red Bank Church's statue and the iconic Christ the Redeemer statue in Rio in Brazil, one of the most Catholic countries in the world. According to um, David Fink, assistant professor of religion at Firm University, it's hard to identify one feature that makes it Catholic, but even the existence of a statue of Jesus is unusual at a Baptist church, he said. 
Fink said there may not be a clear rationale in play here. They may just want to be a little more clear in their branding. Wright said his church, in one of the most conservative parts of South Carolina, just wants to move forward and find a home for the statue and reliefs. The statue, said Wright, has served its season. A phrase to remember when you're looking at a statue of uh, Jefferson Davis. The South Australian Catholic Church will not adhere to a change in law requiring priests to report confessions of child sex abuse, according to the acting Archbishop of Adelaide. That's some good acting. Under the new law set to take effect in a few months, priests who hear confessions about child abuse will have a legal obligation to report the matter to police. Politicians can change the law, but we can't change the nature of the confessional, which is a sacred encounter between a penitent and someone seeking forgiveness and a priest representing Christ, Bishop Greg O'Kelly told ABC Adelaide. It doesn't affect us. We have an understanding of the seal of confession that is in the area of the sacred. News of the Godly, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Quickly now to the Apologies of the Week. U.S. broadcaster Fox Sports has apologized to viewers for the offensive gesture Robbie Williams gave during his World Cup opening ceremony performance. As it was broadcast live, we did not know what would happen during the performance, and we apologize, the network said. The, uh, neither the star nor his representatives have explained why he showed his middle finger. The incident was not seen by U.K. viewers, for whom that is not a profane gesture anyway, but has been widely circulated online. Deadline Chicago. Chicago police apologized and promised to make repairs after breaking down the door of the wrong home while conducting a raid this week on the south side. Officers raided the first floor apartment of a building in the Fuller Park neighborhood. They damaged the front door in the process, handcuffed three people inside, then tore through the family's belongings before discovery. They entered the wrong home. The officers went to the address listed on a warrant, but the paperwork had the wrong information. The raid traumatized Tariki Pender and her three children, including her son, who said he thought it was a robber breaking in. Police apologized. It was hardly the first time officers in Chicago raided the wrong home. On Christmas weekend, they busted down the wrong door in the middle of the night at a house. In that case, police said officers inadvertently breached the door of the incorrect residence. In March, officers stormed the wrong apartment in Lawndale, breaking on the door of a wrong apartment in a building. West Flournoy Avenue in May, officers pointed guns at an innocent teen inside a Woodlawn home, but had raided the wrong apartment. So it's not an accident, it's, it's a habit. Deadline Richardson, Texas, a Richardson church removed a controversial title from a series of weekly faith sessions, apologizing for the controversy the title created. The Greenville Avenue Church of Christ promoted a Wednesday night summer series as Dangerous Isms. They included pessimism, materialism, and alcoholism, but also Islamism, Judaism, liberalism, and atheism. Late Wednesday afternoon, church elders apologized for the label. Dangerous isms was wrong. It was a mistake. It was and is never our desire to disparage any community, the written statement said. Kid Rock apologized for a publicity stunt last year in which he hinted he was running for the Senate while stumping for a Republican Senate hopeful at a rally in Michigan. The singer, whose real name is Robert Ritchie, said it was initially fun and games until people started to believe he was serious, much like his career. I mean, he said he didn't factor in letting down his supporters. The hashtag two dictators erupted on Twitter after Fox News host 
Abby Huntsman last Sunday mistakenly used the term to describe President Trump and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. The Fox and Friends presenter apologized to viewers after referring to the leaders as two dictators ahead of their historic meeting in Singapore. Huntsman is the daughter of U.S. Ambassador to Russia, John Huntsman, Jr. I do want to point out that earlier, as you know, sometimes on live TV, sometimes you don't always say things perfectly. I called both Trump and Un, uh, King Kim a dictator. I did not mean that. My mistake, so I apologize for that, she said. Indian actress Priyanka Chopra, no relation, has apologized after outrage over a plotline on our U.S. TV series Quantico. A recent episode of the thriller showed the main character played by Chopra thwarting a plot hatched by Hindus ahead of a summit on Kashmir. Many Indian fans were outraged by the show story and attacked her online. She described herself as a proud Indian in a tweet and extremely saddened by any hurt caused by the show. And she announced she would not be doing the voice of Apu. Stephen A. Smith, sports loudmouth, apologized during his ESPN radio show Wednesday, hours after USA Today Sports and other outlets reported his coarse response to a question posed by rapper Snoop Dogg on his YouTube channel. Smith was asked which part of the female body he preferred. Always, always the booty, the ass, I think he said. I know I'm associated with Walt Disney, but everybody knows I'm a bottom feeder. Smith was given permission to do the interview. But uh, unfortunately, I answered the question like I answered every question very, very honestly and matter-of-factly, not thinking anything of it, Smith said on his radio show. Evidently, it's a big deal. Evidently, if I get in trouble, it's a stain on the people that work with you because it's not just about you. I have no problem apologizing. I really, really don't. I don't want to hurt anybody else. No word on whether he'll face any discipline. A senior advisor to U.S. President Donald Trump has apologized for saying there's a special place in hell for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Peter Navarro, one of Trump's top advisors on trade, drew condemnation across U.S. and Canadian party lines for a series of disparaging remarks about Trudeau in an interview last Sunday on Fox News. He now says Trudeau can have a regular place in hell. And Neil Patrick Harris has posted apologies to Rachel Bloom after a tweet he wrote about her on-air work during the Tony Awards. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the time of your choice on the audio device of your choice. And it would be just like North Korea denuclearizing, if you'd agree to join with me then. Would you? Already, thank you very much. Uh-huh. A tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, not for long in a exile, and Hawaii desks. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead and to Thomas Walsh at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this broadcast, a playlist of the music here to, here to hear on, your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts for the entire extended family, all at harryshearer.com. And I'm on Twitter, at the Harry Shearer.
show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from the home of the homeless. <laughs>